0: Um, so you heard the scripture uh, proclaimed here. I want to ask you something. Uh, what, what do you do with children? What do you what do you do with children? How do you interact with kids? How do you do you enjoy kids? Tracy and I have had something like twenty something kids in the last four years, in and out of our house through foster care. Uh, we have three daughters of our own. We've adopted one son. Um, had and, and currently we have seven kids in our house. We love, love, love kids, but there's some caveats. Um, kids are absolutely amazing. So I've been I've been impressed with the fact that a child's view of me has this incredible scene where I know me as a more uh, a mere mortal that's decaying daily. When I often feel pain that I didn't realize I would have just from walking around or doing anything simple. And yet my son's view of me, for instance, especially Haddon, he has this incredible view of me to where he thinks I can answer any question. He, he literally the other day thought that, he, that I built the house because he said, daddy, something's broken in the house. Can you fix it? And every man knows the question. You're going to say yes. And you know, you can't fix everything. So in my, in my mind, Haddon views me as this great general contractor that's able to fix anything that is in the house that goes broken. And he literally looked at me the other day while sitting in my lap and he said, Dad, did you build this house? It, it's, in, it's incredible how children perceive reality so different than most of us have learned to do. Um, whatever you're doing, they don't feel like breaking into any conversation. The other night... I got incredibly frustrated, to be quite honest, with Addie Kate. I was just trying to have a question, like just a simple conversation with my wife, and Addie was just all up in it, and she didn't do anything wrong. I was just like, I'm never going to have an adult conversation again in my life. And The reality is, kids are unbothered by the other things that, that humans, adult humans feel. Completely unbothered by the aspect that if something is important, to them in that moment, it must be important to you in your moment. It's it's incredible, again, as I think through, Haddon thinks I'm the strongest man that has ever been born of woman. He asks the impossible of me. He'll constantly say things to make me feel such a sense of pride and humility at the very same time. Like, Dad, can you lift up that car over there? (laughs) And and the irony of me thinking in in that, and my, my daughters think, that I have uh, endless wealth. They will ask of the impossible, Dad, can we buy that Ferrari? That's never been asked. But, but think about the idea of how your kids perceive every aspect of your life, and it's an incredible level of conf- confidence and trust in another to do exactly what they ask, and it's, it's amazing. And somewhere along the way, if you're an adult, you lost that. And then I want to be honest with you, the other side of me, especially as I get older and I yet stay in the same, stay in the same stage of parenting that's really meant for younger men, I get annoyed with kids often. When you're 42, uh, the only you're not supposed to have young children that wake you up in the middle of the night anymore, unless you're Abraham. In this moment of like this constant idea that I look at children and I, I see this stage that is se- seeming like an endless cycle in our life where through foster care and the joy of foster care, you're just never gonna sleep again. And those things happen to where like you're, you're caring for somebody else and it's, it's this is idea. But I wanna be honest about, about kids for a minute. Uh, they can be noisy, they're incredibly inconsiderate, they're intrusive. They're interruptive, especially at night. They're always in need. They extend the time that it takes to do anything. They can be annoying and rude. Like you don't think that. (laughs) And here's what I wanna tell you. That's not even hard to confess, but here's what I wanna tell you. Like something beautiful in the moment occurs when you look at that and you go, man, that's my view of children sometimes because I'm too adult, and the the view that I have of myself, and the view that we have of ourselves, leads us to this place. And I and I want to I want to confess something. With this text, I know that you're not supposed to confess this out loud. But I think this is one of the most helpful things that relates to the bigger picture, especially with the kingdom of God, that you would make that confession. I get what the disciples do here, and at the very same time, I, I would have had the same, I would have received the same rebuke of Jesus. It would have been good for him to do so. His love is so pure and so real and so genuine and innocent and honest and kind and compassionate and rich and unbelievably uncomfortable He allows people to interrupt him. He allows people to come whenever. Like it's, it is entirely, seemingly chaotic in this moment where you're going, wow, like I, I don't want that. And yet that's what Jesus says. This is, this is what the kingdom looks like. So it's helpful for you to go. Kids annoy me sometimes. Because if you read this scripture, um, many of us are going to look at it and go, that's exactly how I feel. And that's, that's the most honest place you can get. If you really want to attain where Jesus is taking us here, then you go, man, like, his love is uncomfortable, and yet I'm the kid. And I get to receive it like that. And yet, I want you to also say something. The other, the other thing that occurs to me is it feels so unattainable when you're an adult. What do you do with children? Um, look here for the first... The first uh, Verse 13, here we go. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, that the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus saw it and he was indignant, saying to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. The first point that you get today is the righteous ways of the kingdom of God. Really what I want you to notice is there's a rebuke that happens and then there's a reason for righteous anger and we should have both. Here's what happens. The scene, likely mothers and fathers and older children are bringing their young children, specifically in Luke chapter 18, verse 15, says infants, to Jesus to be blessed. Now, in the context, they're sitting in a house. They have just been heard. uh, What's just been heard was uh, Jesus talking about divorce. And so naturally, kids thinking about marriage and divorce and the glory of God, and then Kids are brought up next, so they they just decide to interrupt Jesus and begin to bring him kids. And you can imagine, it was a chaotic scene. You don't know exactly how old the kids are, but it does describe in Luke chapter 18, infants. um, And then something that would be described, maybe teenagers down, maybe 11, 10, on down to infants. So here come these kids. Jesus has been doing all the important stuff. If you remember last week, like we heard a very important message concerning marriage. Like, how great would that message have been if you had all the kids just running everywhere while Pastor Jeremy's trying to talk to us about important stuff? And all of a sudden, you have all these interrupting children and crying and all this stuff, and you're going, oh my gosh, man, I just want to hear about marriage. And it's a very interesting thing, and all of a sudden, these kids are everywhere. Can you imagine? That's just my normal everyday life. Like I'm talking to Tracy about nothing. We could talk about nothing. Hey, did you get milk today? And, and then it could just be this explosive interruption of children about how they drank the last glass of milk. Now we need milk, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> but can you imagine this scene where Jesus has just had a very important conversation with everyone gathered? He redefined theology for a lot of people in the room. And now they're waiting, possibly, on the next big thing for Jesus to say. They're all leaning in. And then all these kids start coming in the room. (laughs) Moms, dads, children, in seemingly the most inappropriate time ever, they rush in with their children that Jesus might touch them, which means to bless. They're, They're not interested in the next lesson. They're here for this one. Like, they're they're bringing their kids that Jesus, the great rabbi that they believe him to be, the possible Messiah that they believe him to be, they bring him in with their children that he might bless them. Very priestly things breaks out. Actual church, in a sense, just happens. In a sense, with this weirdness of orders over, we're bringing in the kids. And this is This is a moment where it's this crazy thing that Jesus often used kids for a reason, and I'm going to tell you that in a minute, but you you have to have this scene in mind where these, this just begins to be chaos. Earlier in Mark chapter nine, verse thirty five through thirty seven I preached this a little bit ago. It, it says that the the disciples were arguing over who's the greatest, and Jesus grabs this child and he brings him in the middle of the room, and he says. Puts him in the midst, he takes him in his arms. Verse 36 says, and then verse 37 said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He says, If you really want to love children who represent somebody else other than themselves, but certainly in their society, an outcast, that you receive one like this. So, how in the world are we in Mark chapter 10? That was in Mark chapter 9. How in the world did they stop receiving the kids so quick? The disciples' response to this chaotic scene was rebuke. Uh, they rebuked the, the children, it says, in context, possibly parents, but certainly they, they physically stopped the kids From coming in they were rebuking them from coming to Jesus to be blessed Uh, we're not completely certain why the disciples reacted in any way it doesn't give you any clue in fact a lot of what I've just given you even an illustration of Jesus teaching another lesson or something like that was was me but here here's what I want you to show I want to show you something really interesting I think that you would have reacted the same way too. And I could prove it. I've asked Shelby in the next five minutes to bring in all the kids. No, I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be amazing though? You know why I didn't do that though? Because I want to teach, I don't want to be interrupted. (laughs) Here we go, Haddon on three, right? Like y'all have seen it before though. It's not something that's impossible to imagine. You've seen Haddon run, run around while we're doing something. He escapes, he's, he's like escapes the children's ministry. He's got a back hole with a poster of Jesus and fish on it and he crawls right through it. And then he runs in here and he just runs around. It's not, it's not impossible to imagine that scene. And many others, like we just kind of like, our response is like, there's the kids, like there we go. But imagine this moment like for the disciples, who knows what they were thinking and you're not even really mad at them for doing their action. If Jesus is about to do something really important, if he's gonna continue on the conversation that he's gonna do, then you kind of expect something to happen, right? If Haddon was all of a sudden bust in the room, many of you would look to me even, say something he needs to be done, that kid needs to be parented, right? The reality of this moment is the disciples, for whatever reason, they stop and Jesus notices. It could be that they have not yet abandoned their cultural understanding of the social place of children. It could be their view of the children themselves, that they were relatively unimportant, that they did not need to break up this grand theological moment that was in a, in a setting for adults, for the important theological stuff, kids were not welcome. We have no idea. All we do notice is Jesus noticed. It's very clear in the text that Jesus was unhappy with what just happened. They were refusing to let people distract Jesus from teaching the important stuff for whatever reason it was. And if you remember, again, this this moment, Jesus looks at them and he rebukes them. It says that uh, this, this beautiful thing that happens, if you notice in the text, and I want you to see it. Jesus reveals his love by receiving the children, but also by rebuking the disciples. Sometimes his love is confusing. Sometimes you look at it and you don't understand, like the rebuke that you just got was actually a very loving thing that happened. So Jesus saw what's happening. He noticed, and the, the Bible describes it, that he was indignant Jesus was aroused to anger. In his case, it was righteous anger toward the injustice that was being carried out by his own disciples who should have been helping and receiving the kids but instead is actually refusing them to be in the presence of Jesus. When Mark used this word, he clearly draws a line for us to understand whose side you should be on. Um, if you're if you're looking at the disciples and you're going, even in confusion, I would have sided with them. At this very moment, you change sides. At this very moment, you you reevaluate the situation that's happening. You go, what did the disciples do wrong? I don't get it. And when Jesus shows up and his he looks indignant, he was indignant. He begins to show that the disciples are actually wrong in their action. They should have learned already. They should have adjusted their theology. They should have adjusted their understanding. They should have warmly embraced the parents and the children, celebrated their awareness of Jesus' greatness, received the the kids like Jesus would himself. But they didn't. Um, Charles Spurgeon has this quote, and I thought this was an incredible uh, quote for this. It says, it must be, a very great sin indeed to hinder anyone from coming to Christ. It's the only way of salvation from the wrath of God, salvation from the terrible judgment that is due towards sin. Who would dare keep the perishing from that way? Uh, think about this for a minute. Like, this is what was happening. The disciples are literally rejecting instead of receiving the kids. Go away. James Edward says, the object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about them. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, the vulnerable, and the powerless. He taught, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Why? If you have an American understanding of this text, and we just think, like kids, like we understand. And maybe they're unruly, maybe they're noisy, maybe they're whatever, but in this day, when Jesus sees a child, it's it's almost a two-part vision. You definitely see a kid, but you see something else. Was Jesus looking at the children as an example of the the kingdom itself? Why did he say this? Was it because, you know, um, their innocence? Of course not. Was there purity? No. Was it their childlike behavior? Not even that. You really have to understand this in a larger setting. He, he looks at them because they are the people that have no value. Kids typically are not a part of a value system. We don't, we don't push them to the margins in America. Uh, we push them to the middle. They're center in our lives. So when we look at this, it's kind of a strange behavior. If you have your kids in your life and they're at the center, they actually make the decisions. You say kids don't make decisions. Some people make decisions around where they go to church, what they do. If the church isn't entertaining their kid, they literally will hop up. This could be the best place for you on the planet. But if your kid all of a sudden doesn't like it here and another church down the street has pizza parties or anything else, you will leave. If we don't adapt... Like we have to entertain the kids like someone else entertains the kids. We never ask the question over whether they're being discipled and cared for, if this is their best environment. We don't don't ever go, hey, are they really knowing Jesus more? We always go, are they going to have a pizza party on Friday? Because that's what the other church is doing. In America, this gets weird for us because we have kids at the center. They make decisions for us. However, in Jesus' day, they were pushed to the margins. They got nothing. They, were, they had no part of the status. They had no part of anything in society. They had the same placement as someone who was poor. They were looked at as a picture, not of innocence or purity or value, but Jesus is actually exposing their need. Kids are weak. They're helpless. They're dependent on someone else to do for them what we are unable to do for themselves, what they are unable to do for themselves. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom here suggests and and says very clearly that his understanding of the backdrop of their standing, their value, their action in their society, and possibly even outside their family. Children are absolutely, totally, completely, objectively helpless. They are without power, they are without strength, they are without position, they are without status, they are without privilege in Jesus' day. And it's incredible because when you look at this, uh, everything that pushes forward on this is into that mindset that children begin to be a representative of somebody else in culture. The disciples aren't interested in, they're they're interested in creating this environment to where teaching can happen and adults can listen and learn. Um, you, You don't do that well with children in the room. So it makes perfect sense to some degree, but then when Jesus opposes their action, we, we need to rethink our own position. So when you look at that, uh, you, you, you think through this idea of like, who do I don't want in the room? It may not be children. I'm not advocating we bring children in. Believe me, I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating for integrated church personally. Someone else might be advocating that, me No. (laughs) Why did he say that? Look in verse 15. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the the kingdom of God like a child does not enter it. The idea that Jesus goes further now and he says, amen. He wants you to come close and listen to affirm what he's about to say. He says, if you don't enter the kingdom like a child, you don't enter the kingdom at all. When he says you will not enter the kingdom, it is very strong. It's not, this is not a subject that you can go, maybe I can talk him out of it. No, this is an absolute thing. The way that we enter into the kingdom is like a child. The kingdom is not received through your earnings. It's not received through a display of absolute power. It's not status. It's not the things that you think you bring to the table. It gets really weird for us right now when you go, the kingdom of God is actually an absolute trust and display to the dependence upon another. Children are a perfect example of what it means to receive the kingdom and what it looks like because they have nothing that they can offer or bring. He says, you want to become like a kid? You become like a kid in your standing and, and how you receive. You're standing. You affirm that all you bring is a humble standing. It doesn't matter. If, even if you're a king, you're now a child. You have no standing, no position, nothing that will help you whatsoever. You're an outcast in society. You're a reject and, you're, and, and that's how we come. We, we come and we go, I have nothing. I am nothing. And then what you bring, you, you, you receive it like a child. All you bring is nothing. You, you say, I am nothing to some degree, and I have nothing to bring. Children are absolutely helpless. They live in the hands of another. This is Danny uh, Aiken. Yet even at a tender age, they seem to be filled with hope and expectation. They don't know all they need, but they do need, uh, they know they need the help of another. They are hopeful that they will receive it. They come small, helpless, and powerless. They have no clout or standing. They bring nothing but empty hands. And this is appropriate since only empty hands can be filled. They live by faith and dependence upon another to survive. When they're hungry, um, they ask you to fill their plate, and then they refuse to eat. When they're thirsty, no matter the hour of the day, last night we got done watching football. Somehow Haddon was up, still, and he refused to go upstairs without a glass of water. I gave him a glass of water, and then he refused to drink the water because it lacked ice. I gave him some ice. And then we had to get his blanket and his warmie, and something else I don't even remember. And then he couldn't carry it all upstairs, so I had to help him. He had to give me the glass of water that he was holding. It was a glass of water that he was holding by his teeth. And I was like, son, that is unbelievably dangerous. And so he's like, here, (laughs) daddy. So I grab it, and we go upstairs, and I I put him to bed. And he's like, will you read me a story? No, son, it's 1130. Well, I'm not going to go to bed without a story. Yes, you will. You get like kids have this, this amazing thing to request anything from you when they're sick. Even when they can't request your help, you, they do everything that you understand to make, them know, to make it known that they need you. You see, kid, kids are in this place of dependence and, and this beautiful imagination that, that Haddon doesn't know that I'm not a doctor and I'm not a, a general contractor and I'm not these things at all. But in his mind, it doesn't matter. Wouldn't, wouldn't you understand the kingdom like a child in some degree where we, we have lost the imagination for what God can do in our life? Wouldn't you understand that we've lost the request? There are things that you think you can handle now. Where, where have you gone if you're in need anymore? What do you do? You go to your wallet? What happens when we're in need? See, a, ch- a child has no option. An adult has options. When you have credit, you have options, but a kid can't. What do you do? You said, this is what the kingdom's like. This is how we receive it. This is who you are. What would your credit score matter in heaven? It won't. What would your credit card do in heaven? It, nothing. You're, you're in a complete place of need, and we just don't realize it anymore because we think we can take care of ourselves. The disciples in there sure, sure thought they could. Kids, though, they don't care if you're busy. They just interrupt you anyway. They don't, they don't care about anything. They're just there, and they do what you think they can do. Um, Warren Wiersbe said, we train children to behave like adults. However, Jesus trains adults to behave like children, to become children. Tim Keller, this is one of my favorite quotes, uh, and it happens to me often. It's like a real-life quote that just keeps happening, like Groundhog Day. The only, well, other than I'm not a king, but listen, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And listen to what he says after that. That's an amazing thought. He says, we have that kind of access. How do we not learn from Kids. See, if you want to see and receive and live in the kingdom, what do you do? You look at a helpless child and you go do likewise. You look at them and go, how do do you live? How do I live? Self-dependent. How do I live? I posture myself that I can take care of everything that I need to. I make sure I have enough money and all those things that I have no need. What's, What's a kid bring to the table? Nothing. And then he he ends with this verse. I'm not done when I say he ends, but he ends, I'm not. Verse 16, he says, he took them into his arms and he blessed them and laying his hands on them. Jesus then concentrates on this moment. Mark sees this picture of the kids that were interrupting the teaching, the important time of then. And then Jesus rebuking his disciples and he says, this is what the people who received the kingdom are like this. They're the outcasts, the interrupters, the loud ones. They're the ones that don't, they don't act right. And then Jesus does this this thing here. He acts, his actions here give weight and significance to his words. If the disciples didn't get it before when Jesus says, this is, if you want to receive them, you receive me, and and he takes them in his arms. Jesus then does this, he took the children in his arms like a true high priest, a better and good priest, he blesses them by the laying on of his hands. The picture that's before us that you get to get supports his teaching and his action, visually uh, displaying and demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like. He says it's available to the least of these by God's grace alone taking the children in his hands, he embraces them and he blesses them. And in a sense, he's like, disciples, this is what you should have done. He now says, this is what you should have done. This is what we do now. This is what the kingdom looks like. The worthless have worth. The rejected have acceptance. The pushed aside to the margins, they come to the one who's at the center. The one without value in this world has value in the kingdom. Jesus embraces those who the world normally in- rejects. You understand? You understand when you become an adult, you value status. You value position. You value power. You value worth. You value all the things, the lies and the trapping the world in our society that you're not worthless if you do these things. That you're not vulnerable if you do these things. You're not helpless if you do these things. Uh, my, friend, my friend died the other day and she came back last night I talked to her. Uh, this sounds so weird. i got to start that over. Like, and his name was Jesus. Uh, so my friend had a person die that she knew. <laughs> it was getting a little better. And she was sitting sulking and she was mourning and I said I asked her I didn't know I said, hey, what's going on? She said, well, this person died. was like, I'm really sorry. And this this moment happened where the refusal immediately of their life they worked at somebody in HR immediately began to clean out their desk and post their position and that's what made her sad. The reality of this thing is she had family at home like she's grieving. She's a person sitting here grieving the loss and yet her position at work and all this stuff is already replaced. The things that you think are going to bring you value, the things that you're going to bring are going to help you become less needy and all those things are going to replace you as soon as you draw your last breath. When you look at Jesus here, Verse fifteen: Either you either you receive the kingdom like a child, or you don't receive it at all. Do you understand? Here we have this amazing place where the only way to receive this kingdom is to humble yourself to become a child of God. Here's the kingdom beyond birthright, beyond status, beyond a people beyond any of your good works, only given by the grace of God for those that will humble themselves and become like the outcast, become like the vulnerable, become like the person that doesn't have status. Here we get to proclaim that Jesus has done something for us in his life and his death and his resurrection we could have never done for ourselves. Here, we get to gladly submit to the ways of the kingdom and live under this countercultural approach to the way that we perceive life. Don't you see? Here, every day, Jesus is reigning over us gladly from a place and position where he's, he's the king of heaven. The kingdom is far more than the world could ever offer you. But you have to come in like a kid. Jesus took the kid in the middle and, and, and he says, hey, listen, these kids that are coming that I'm going to take in my hand, I'm gladly going to allow them to interrupt the next whatever moment's going to happen. They're the outcast. They're the rejects. They're the vulnerable. And Jesus says, that's how you have to understand yourself. Who are you if you stand before Jesus? What does it matter if you stand before someone at work or in your neighborhood or any other status in your life, who cares? How do you measure up to them doesn't matter. What about Christ himself? You stand before him as a beggar and gladly. So from this text, I asked myself, how could I apply this text in my own life? I have a love-hate relationship with children. I love the creativity, I love who they are, I love everything about that, but they still annoy me. So I, like the disciples, honestly, would have, would have probably received the same rebuke, and it would have been necessary for me, and it is necessary for me from time to time, and I need to remember that this little child who is crazy and loud and all these things, that I just hide better in plain sight. I do all that stuff, I'm just an adult now. Jesus said you need to be like a child. Come into the kingdom and you'll learn how to be a child of God, not just a child of the world, not running around going crazy, never doing anything good. I'm not advocating that we just embrace that, I'm saying you wanna come into the kingdom, you come in like a child in your weakness, in your position, and then you live there Live in that humility that you have nothing to offer. Live in the humility that you can't take care of yourself. Live in that humility that you are always in need. (laughs) And then what happens? Jesus will embrace you. He will lay his hands on you. He will bless you. He will show you the ways to go out and live that way toward others. Can you set aside the view of yourself? Can you set aside the one that takes care of your own needs, that you don't need anybody, that you're independent, that you're at the center of your life, that you're living in pride? You're looking upward to yourself. You never look in a humble state. Can you embrace your own need? Can you embrace your own humility? Can you, can you reject yourself? All my status is nothing, like Paul said. Everything I bring to the table is like dung. All my righteousness as nothing. It's all filthy rags, it's no help to me at all. We'll seek to love the least of these, like children who are the representatives of those that are in need, that that should honestly start at our home. Instead of being annoyed by your children, and this is a big one, because I'm gonna tell you tomorrow I'm gonna blow it. Maybe this afternoon. Like, I have have a head start because I studied this all week, but yesterday I blew it, so it don't matter. Something's going to happen when you're going to have this fork in the road situation. Are you going to be annoyed, or are you going to look at them and seek to embrace and bless them with a holy bear hug and a blessing from the king? What, What if we viewed children differently? So the question I asked you the first, which is, it's not a heavy question. What do you do with children? So here's what I want to tell you. You are a child of God if you're in the kingdom. If you've come into the kingdom, you've come in only by your humility, only by your rejection, only by, with no status, no position, and you've showed your hands. You said, I'm a kid, I bring nothing. If you're in the kingdom of God that's the only way you've done it you've looked at Jesus and you've said what a beautiful king we have what a savior and hopefully your mom or your dad or maybe your maybe your friend or your one of your loved ones broke in the door and they brought you to Jesus maybe they said I don't care what's going on in the next room he's in there I'm rolling in You have to meet this Savior. I want them to bless my child. I don't know if that's what happened to you. I know this. If you've come, you've come because you're like a child. You have no value, no position, only need. And then, if you've come to Jesus like that, he embraced you. He has blessed you now we go out as the children of God and do the same. Pray with me. Father, thank you for a beautiful time with the gathered church. I pray this week that we would see ourselves in the clearness of the gospel, that we are valued, that we are loved, that we are cared for, that we are accepted because Christ has done something for us, not anything we've done. Thank you that the way that you see the children of God are those that are worthy and positioned in Christ. So, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you, Jesus, for the beauty of the gospel reality. And I pray that if there's anyone in here that's clinging to pride, clinging to status, clinging to self worth, clinging to those things, hoping that you'll find value in them. I pray that they would see today that you will not, that they need to come like a child. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ.